Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Every January, we do what I call Back to Basics, and in four short weeks, we cover the first four chapters of the Science of Mind textbook, and in theory, we cover really everything you need to know about the Science of Mind in one month. Well, we lost half a month. <laughs> and no, don't worry, I'm not actually going to do three sermons in one, <laughs> I promise. Uh, but I do want to spend just a, a few moments talking about what we would have talked about two weeks ago, the thing itself, which is really our discussion of God. And our idea of God, I think, is fundamentally different enough from most mainstream religious belief that I think I would be remiss in not talking about it. So what we would have talked about two weeks ago is really the idea of God that's a little different than what we're used to or what we were raised up with. And in fact, uh, one of the ways to look at it is uh, with kids. Even our own children upstairs, if you ask them as part of a craft project to draw a picture of God, even in our own center, often you will get the picture of them as a little stick figure on the ground, and you'll see a picture, probably a bigger stick picture, of a guy in the sky, and sometimes even sitting on a golden throne. And I gotta tell you, it just bugs the heck out of me. God is not a guy in the sky on a throne. That whole idea of some uh, magical being like a superhero or like a Santa Claus sitting up there and judging whether we've been naughty or nice bugs the heck out of me. And if we have that notion still existing in our head from childhood or still existing in maybe the traditions that we were brought up with, I gotta tell you, what I'm gonna talk about today isn't gonna make any difference. Because that kind of God you have to get on your knees and beg to. That kind of God you have to live up to some kind of moral code that who knows, it changes from year to year and month to month. That kind of God in the last minute could change his mind and I'll be stuck for eternity in the fiery pit, right? That kind of God is not suitable for what we teach here. And so what I would have talked about two weeks ago is that our idea of God in some ways is more the way that native peoples around the world approach God. The idea of, uh, of, uh, of Father Sky and Mother Earth that, that really everything is part of God. There's no, there's, no, uh, you know, there's no God that wound things up and went away and then is standing there with folded arms. No, God is here with us. And the other thing that bugs me a little bit about uh, other pictures of God is, uh, and although I happen to, actually I happen to love the part of the New Testament where they, they talk about the, the beginning of the world. And, and even in the King James Version, it's lovely. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it, it talks about that creation, and it is, it's so powerful. And actually, I think it, they're, of course, describing the Big Bang for those of you who are, are science buffs like I am, but, but what I don't like about it is this idea that it all happened in seven days and then we're done. Because it in kind of implies that God then got up and, you know, 
went somewhere else maybe to do some other good works. <laughs> like, well, finished with them. Thank heavens it only took seven days. <laughs> See, I don't believe that for an instant. God never stopped creating there are still galaxies being formed. There still are amazing changes and newness going on in the world. God never stopped. And today we're going to talk about that dynamic creative process that did never stop, that is still an action, that is still God moving forward in its magnificence to create more every day. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What we would have also talked about a little bit last week, and I'm going to shortchange it here, so you'll have to just trust me on this one, is if God is everything, that also means you. So we're not separate from God. We're right in the middle of God in a way. Our consciousness is part of God's consciousness. Our thoughts are part of the thoughts of God itself. Our, our desires are, are portraying on the small scale some of the yearnings for life and goodness and joy that the bigger God has. In fact, we're in a, a Thomas Troward class right now I, uh, that I'm teaching, and, and it's very explicit. It says, God created the heavens and the earth out of its own self-contemplation for joy. The only reason we're here is because God wanted to enjoy itself more. And did you also notice I'm trying to be very careful to say it, and it isn't because I'm dispassionate about God. I'm not calling God an it because somehow I think that God uh, isn't something I can cuddle up next to, because uh, I do. I mean, in my prayer work, I think of God as very personal, not, not an, int, an it in the sense of depersonalizing it, but I'm doing that really on purpose because I'm really tired of that male authority figure as being portrayed as God. And so, so pardon me if I use it, if it sounds like I'm dissing God, I'm not. Okay, on with our talk today. Well, how does God do God's thing? How does God continue this creative process in the world? It does it very simply by saying God uses our consciousness to decide what the world needs more of. God is listening, God's omnipresent, God's uh, all-wise, God's everywhere there because Everything is there, right? We don't need to figure out some mysterious communication system between us and God because we're part of God, just as everything is part of God. And so God is always there taking the impress, the ideas, the beliefs, the thoughts that we have, and is acting upon them. In the same way that the, the big God created the big bang out of its self-contemplation towards joy, I would suggest to you that you are creating your own small version of the cosmos, your own worldview, using that same creative force of self-contemplating, using your own mind to hold up what it is you want to experience and have more of, and that's what you're getting. And I'm going to give you a couple examples because, uh, because I often think ch children approach things in the simplest way. These are two examples from my own childhood. So first of all, well, childhood, I don't know, I was 14. I would probably have been pissed off if you would have called me a child at 14. <laughs> but I remember at 14, oh, I was a rotten kid in some ways. And I told my mom I was going to spend the night over at my friend Bruce's house. 
Well, Bruce told his mom that he was going to spend the night over at my house, and really we were going to just go out and uh, get in some trouble. Anyway, uh, it's like 10 o'clock, I don't know, 11 o'clock, and my mom thinks that she would just call Bruce's mother's. I think they plan these things out ahead. I don't know. But anyway, telephone calls were made, and when I got home, I eventually did come home that night around midnight. Oh my gosh, if you ever want to see the wrath of God, (laughs) it was then and there. But what I remember about that night was that she said, while you were missing, I was worried sick. And she meant it. She literally meant that she had been made nauseous by the thoughts of what might be happening to me. Had I been hit by a car, were we getting into trouble? Would I be down at the police station? She was picturing all of the negative things that two 14-year-olds, and believe me, there are quite a few that she could picture, of trouble that 14-year-old boys could get into, and it literally made her sick. Guess what? Well, let me phrase it a different way. Guess how much we spend in America on drugs and doctor visits that are entirely related to stress and lifestyle choices. Someone said 90. We're not quite up to 90. The last measure that I got was 85%. 85% of doctor's visits, 85% of hospitalizations, 85% of uh, the medications that we use are for things like high blood pressure, um, heart conditions, anxiety, stress, depression. They are all things that are caused by our thinking processes and the choices that we make based on those thinking processes. 85%. So there's kind of a negative use of this creative power, right? We're thinking ourselves sick. We're accepting on stresses and worries and troubles, and some of them exist, some of them don't even exist particularly. Like, like I was perfectly safe, my mom just didn't know that. And so she worried herself sick. Okay, let's take a more positive example, though. Um, This one's from a road trip when I was about seven years old, and it was the first time we'd gone out as a family in the car, spending like probably like a whole week mostly in the car, and we drove to Yellowstone National Park and had fun. And I remember, though, uh, well, and who here got a little bit cabin feverish? (laughs) So three people a week in the car, we got a little cabin feverish. And I remember my mom said, well, let's play blue cars. Does everyone know here what blue cars is? So blue cars is when you get points for whoever sees the the next blue car. And so, you know, you're on kind of high alert. But of course, when you're, I mean, when you're seven, it doesn't take much to have it feel interesting and thrilling, I guess. Uh, But anyway, so we're on the scout for blue cars. And, you know, if you would have said to me as a child, well, 
well, cars are sort of cars, and there are as many blue ones as red ones and white ones and everything else. That would have been my guess, but I got to tell you, you have me looking for them, and they're everywhere. And of course, I wanted to win, too. I had a lot of enthusiasm for this, so I was like really scanning the environment, picking out the blue cars, and then it occurred to me, well, you know, the green ones are kind of blue, so I started counting the green ones, and of course my mom was taking exception to this, and I reminded her, oh, I was a little on the precocious side, that in our class we learned that green was made of yellow and blue, so even the, green, even the fully green ones were at least half blue, so I should get half a point for them. But I will tell you, so far so good, you focus on something, you're going to see it out in the world. You want to hear, though, the really interesting part of it? So we played that game for about two hours on one day. And guess what? For the whole rest of the road trip, we saw it everywhere. We set up a mental equivalent, if you will, we programmed our mind just in a two-hour period of having interest and being alert and really aware. In a two-hour time, we programmed ourselves to seek out, search, and find blue cars, and they were everywhere. Our experience of the world was that blue cars were everywhere, and we laughed about it. We ended up, uh, we would be parking next to them, and they would, they would be the ones cutting us off on the freeway, and on and on and on. It was the blue cars. Do you see where I'm going with this? We can program ourselves for misery. We can literally make ourselves sick with our thinking, we can program ourselves to have an experience in the world that is also what we're seeking out, even if it's something trivial like blue cars. So the secret here is twofold. First of all, you have to have an idea of what you want. You really need to know that what you want to seek out and have an experience is a blue car or whatever it is. And second of all, you need to have some passion around it. Now, my father actually was terrible at the game. You know why? He was driving. He had other things on his mind. He had no passion around it. It wasn't that the same number of cars weren't there available for him to experience. He did not have the availability of the passion and intent. So the two things that are really needed if you want to go somewhere, if you want to keep using this creative force that is powerful enough to create the whole universe, it's still there, it's still creating, and your part of it is based really on your thinking and your passion, and that's it. So I'm going to give you a couple more tips, and I think in order to do that, it's time for a joke. And my partner, Daniel, assures me this is the worst joke I've done yet, so <clears throat> he's so very helpful sometimes. So a wife says to her engineer husband, could you please go to the store for me and buy a carton of milk? Oh, and if they have eggs, buy a dozen. So a short time later, the husband comes back with 12 cartons of milk. The wife asks, why the heck did you buy 12 cartons of milk? And the husband says, well, they had eggs. Now, some of you are like, yeah, that's the way it works. 
<laughs> and actually knowing many of you, I could, I could even point, but I won't, uh, to, to the people who love that joke. But let me read it again one more time slowly. So could you please go to the store for me and buy a carton of milk, and if they have eggs, buy a dozen? Do you see how the slightest... It's like, you know, my friend Laura Bradley, who does a lot of my proofreading for me, says the world is lost or won based on a comma. (laughs) (laughs) And I am here to tell you that God, for better or worse, works the same way. If you do not provide some clarity in what you want, you are apt to not get what you want. You may get the 12 cartons of milk unless you provide a good level of clarity around what you want. And let me give you a short example here. So a lot of us I know have spiritual practices. A lot of us uh, set down our intentions for the day. We'll maybe write out some affirmations on how we want to spend our day. A lot of us take this pretty seriously and want to move forward in our life, uh, getting a a better handle on things. But I got to tell you, then we get in the car and the person in front of us skids on the ice and suddenly the naughty words start flying out of our minds and what what kind of message are we giving God that we want a peaceful and loving world or that we want that SOB to get out of our way God is present always in our hearts and in our minds and as and many of you had that experience these last two weeks right yeah I can see you picturing those uh, near accidents right So what I know is we need to provide a certain level of consistency and clarity around what we really want. We can't just say it for an hour in the morning when we're doing our spiritual practice. We can't just be a part-time engineer of our lives. We need to take control of the whole life as best we can. And I promise next week we'll give you some tools and some ways of dealing with that. But today, I want to start with, and this is your homework for this coming week, is the clarity around your heart's desire. Now, I would like to think that everyone in this room, regardless of how well your life is going, regardless of, of, of how sweet things are right now, could imagine an area of improvement, could imagine their, their heart's desire perhaps being fulfilled in a more powerful way. And so that's your homework for this week because we're going to begin acting upon that in a very positive and intentional way. Next week, I'm going to give you some tools and techniques for using this divine creative law, that same law that God used to to create the Big Bang and set everything in motion here. We're going to have the tools to do that starting next week, but it isn't going to go anywhere unless we have our milk and our eggs sorted out. I don't want you wasting your time getting more of the same because you don't have a clear idea of what you want. Now you might ask, well, Larry, what do you mean by what do I want? And, and if you're one of those people, yeah, this, this is a big thing, isn't it? Do I want to express more love in my life? Do I want to hang out with kids more? Do I want to um, really move forward in my role as a student or a teacher? What would really make your heart sing? You know, we're at the heart of, of Lori's song today. What is it 
in you, this is dying to be expressed. So who, who did have cabin fever? Do you know why we have cabin fever? That is our creative urge being stifled. We are used to playing on a big canvas. We're used to being out in the world and expressing ourselves creatively with our friends and our family and with the people that we encounter and in our jobs and in our, our spiritual home. We're used to expressing our creativity on a big canvas. And when we get snowed in and feel fearful to go out, we're shutting down the creative urge. We're shutting down an important part of God. No wonder it makes us feel crazy. No wonder it sometimes even brings about some anxiousness. We're shutting down something important in us. Well, we're going to begin harnessing that next week. And your assignment one more time is, what's your heart desire? What makes your, your ideas and your mind just sing with opportunities? What is it in you that wants to be expressed? You might think about when you were five years old and you said what you wanted to be when you grew up. That might have been a, a clue right there. Of course, times change, but begin thinking like a child might. What do I want to be next? Now, some of you will say, well, but it has to make money or it has to do this or it, it has to fit in with society. Well, throw all that away. Let's be dreamers for just one week. If, if in the end result, it turns out what our heart's desire is isn't useful, we'll pick something else. But for right now, just this week, throw all caution to the winds Picture yourself writ as large as you can, as powerful as you can, nothing standing in your way. What is your, is it to be a philanthropist? Is it to, uh, to, to end suffering in a, uh, somewhere that you can see existing in the world? Is it to change our form of government in a, in a new and positive way? What amazing, beautiful thing do you want to bring about? So that's your homework for next week. I'm, we're running out of time. I really did actually squeeze all three sermons into one. <laughs> Hooray, I did it. <laughs> but I do want to anchor this, of course, more somberly and traditionally in our science of mind principles. And so here is how Ernest Holmes, the founder of the science of mind, here's how he summarizes, if you will, this idea that our thoughts are creative that there is good for us and we ought to have it. He says, let us restate this fundamental principle. We are surrounded by an infinite creative possibility. It is goodness, it is life, it is law, and it is reason. In expressing itself through us, it becomes more fully conscious of its own being. That's God contemplating itself, right? It automatically becomes the law of our lives. It passes into expression through us as a reflection of our consciousness. So whatever we have in our consciousness, God processes through us and that becomes the law of our lives. Therefore, we should have faith in it and its ability to do for us whatever we need to have done. The one who wishes to demonstrate some particular good must only become conscious of clear of this particular good if you wish to experience it. Therefore, make your mind receptive to it and imagine consciously. 
Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one goodness, and it's everything. It isn't that crazy guy, that Santa Claus God in the sky. It's everything. Every person, every place, everything, every situation, the the vast universe and all the consciousness in it, that is our idea of God here. And because it's everywhere present, I know that means me, that my thoughts are part of God's thoughts. My love is part of God's love. My joy is there to be inherited from the joy of all creation itself. And that creative aspect of God is mine also. And as it is true for me, it is true for each person in this room. Each person here is still creating the universe as part of God. The Big Bang never stopped. We're in the middle of it. And we can bring into our own lives exactly that element of creation, that that exact form and substance of who and what we are ought to be. We can bring it into our life as well as we can clearly imagine it. And so for today, for this week in particular, that imagination of our heart's desire becoming clear, becoming speakable, becoming our reality, the new blue cars that we will be seeing everywhere. And for this, I'm grateful. For this, I simply recognize the God in all of us, that power in all of us. And in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. So welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.